They were the first boy band, not taken seriously. But somehow they became great, mysteriously. Hey, we're the podcast, the only one that tells you the truth about classic era monkeys and the boldest born of you. They fought for creative, did what they liked to do. But after headquarters, they stuck the writers back too. We're disco graffiti, and people say we're stingy with stars. But we're too busy being objective to put anybody down. Welcome to Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I am one of the co-hosts of the show, Joe Kennedy. I, too, am one of those people. My name's Dave Gebro. You're the remaining co-host. I'm the remaining of the co-hosts. I'm the remainder. First things first, you guys need to know just how seriously we take this stuff. Discography is heavily researched, and all the music is reassessed with fresh ears. That takes a lot of time. Oh, and we're not just covering albums, by the by. No, we do a searingly honest deep dive analysis of all the stuff that came down the pike first time around. EPs, singles, comp tracks, solo work bootlegs, all kinds of other stuff too. And then all of these works are slapped with an objectively accurate star rating from zero to five. Which allows us all to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. Um, today on Discography, we are we'll, we will be refocusing the spray cans on the monkeys. Now, I got to say about this particular episode, you know, when we do this, we're listening to this. We're like kind of living in the world of these artists for a short amount of time. Um, we are. Uh, you know, that's pretty much all I'm doing for the entire week is listening to whatever that artist is. Sometimes it's two weeks. <laughs> it's even longer than that. Yeah. This one, I have to say, stayed with me more than almost any of them that we've done. I've been continuing to just listen to the monkeys. It's, yeah, it's awesome. I just listened to the birds, the bees, and the monkeys the other day on vinyl, and it is just magnificent. Uh, it, it, look, episode one is 66 to 67. This one is 68 to... 2021 right. it's quite a disparity but in any case we are tuning back in to a conversation with monkeys manager andrew sandoval which is of course already in progress and um, here is the remainder of that conversation uh so moving moving along the next thing that happens in their career is momentous indeed because it it, it contributes to a, a strong tumble in popularity which is on march 25th 1968 their tv show is canceled right they're already in production on their film in february of 68 so it was like it didn't really register with them they were so busy anyway right. and the producers of their show who were making this feature film with them which was their whole plan to begin with which was to make films uh they didn't really fight very hard on behalf of it i it's hard to say the reason why they didn't go for a third season the monkeys didn't want to keep doing the kind of show they were doing is one thing whether or not they were selling enough boxes of cereal for their sponsors kellogg's is another thing and you know did the producers really care at that point they had enough money 
to do what they wanted, which was to make movies. Right. This was a stepping stone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so in April 68, The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkeys comes out. Uh, this is the first Monkeys album not to reach number one. It peaks at number three. Um, also, their first one to miss the British charts completely. Yeah, that's a surprise. It's a yeah. kind of shocker. Um, all of the rest of them had, had reached the top ten. Uh, this one has sold uh, a million copies. You have as singles Valerie uh, and, of course, Daydream Believer, uh, written by former Kingston Trio member John Stewart. Um, and this album, to me, is their white album. Yeah, it, it is. In I'll give it the same criticism I gave to More of the Monkeys, which is that they had stronger songs in the can, and the decision-making as to what would go on the record, to me, is bizarre and highly disappointing. I think that Peter Tork is undervalued. He's not valued at all with any songs on the record. He had really good material at this time. I'd say, like, even the Nesmith songs that were selected, like Writing Wrongs, I don't think is good. Um, it's a hev heavy Davy. Uh, right, sort of yeah, thing, and Davy's right. is the Davy songs are good, but there's not the balance. And Mickey's a little erratic. The the only thing that harkens back to what we heard on Headquarters in Pisces Aquarius is Auntie's Municipal mm -hmm. Court. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's this is um, a three star record for me. They kind of broke up the Chip and Eddie rhythm section. This is mostly Wrecking Crew. They 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 stopped wanting to make records with Chip. In, right. no, in November 67, when Pisces Aquarius came out, they said, we want to do our own thing. They felt that they could produce themselves. They didn't want to be in the studio with one another. Right. All of the White Album, but much earlier. Right. And just, they felt like, well, we'll each have our own brand of music. And Yet again, we'll they're setting the template for the Beatles to follow. <laughs> <laughs> they they blew through the whole group music making thing so quickly. Mm -hmm. Not They didn't even last a year together as a group in that sense, in that traditional sense. And right, they just, so they they had they, they had fought for this liberated statement of headquarters, and then um, that was kind of they were kind of losing interest already, right? They lost interest immediately, yeah. and, that, and that's very much like the monkeys. Anytime they have success at one thing, they feel they've got to go on and do something else. I mean, why mm -hmm. would you keep doing the same thing? It's like us doing the same TV episode again, where. Davy has the stars in his eyes. The monkeys are always on to the next creative thing, and this lasted up through the end of their career last year. There's a lot of good stuff here, and by any other artist, this would be a stronger record, but based on what else they were had going on and what they had in the can, I think it's a disappointment. This one's a little uneven to me. The, the batting average isn't as quite as high as the best ones. I gave this one three and a half. I did enjoy it. It's still it's, it's a pretty good record. Um, I'm, I'm at four and a half, believe it or not. Right. I uh, well, love there's this some people album. love it, and and I underst I get where they're coming from. I get where you're coming from, but yeah. I, I just, to me, again, stacking it up against these other records. So I love Tapioca Tundra. Right, that's a that's great, great song. Weirdo country tune. It is. I love very uh, Dream World. So Dream the, the opening great. of that, those crunchy chords on the harpsichord. I love We Were Made for Each Other because it's got this really great, uh, tired, late afternoon feeling to it that, mm -hmm. does, that a lot of Davies stuff doesn't have. We uh, Were Made for Each Other to me is kind of like, sounds like a Barry, it's one of those ones, we were, we were talking about this before, it sounds like it's kind of like a Barry Gibb tune. It sounds like it's kind of like in that Bee Gees sort of style. Mm -hmm. It's for Let There Be Love or Yeah, it has his uh, sort of melodic style. Um, but yes, yeah, it's a cool record. Like it's... Um, it has the two great singles. Uh, I, I I love this version of Valerie with the, with the yeah. brass. Yeah, Valerie's and great. And Daydream Believer really is uh, as terrific as its legend would. You know, uh, it's, another, it's a number one record, and it 
deserves to be number one every bit. Yeah. Their third and final number one. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like an elegy for both Davey and for the band. It's sort of a goodbye for the band being at that station of pop stardom. Yeah, it's it's also kind of a farewell to everything, I think. Yeah, and, it is. You know, and, and John Stewart, it's the only song he ever writes for the Monkees. That's remarkable. Like, you think... Well, of course they're going to get John Stewart to write another song for them. No, but they already did that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, of course they're going to get, you know, why wouldn't Voice and Heart, after that great first album, why wouldn't they produce a second album? Nope. Right. Um, I love uh, Daydream Believer, another thing that's no- that was notable to me about it. I love all the, the way the piano chords are voiced in that. It's very pretty voicing. That's Peter. That's Peter. Yeah. yeah. Really lovely playing on that by Peter. Yeah, another thing conceptually that's just interesting to me about this, it feels like the work of a band that uh, think, r- literally feels that nobody will be listening to this, so they kind of just let pull out the stops and do whatever they want for that reason. They don't get to pick the songs on the record. It's Lester Sill. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I mean, not that the Monkees felt no one was listening. I think the Monkees felt at this point, this is just another of our albums. We're going to make a lot of them. Right. Because right, right. now we're on a roll. We're not only have been a group now we're four individual stars all making music and we're going to make this was the first we're all going to be in the studio on the same day in different studios making even more monkeys music Mm -hmm. and we're making a feature film right now it hasn't come out but we're gonna you know we're gonna we're catapulting we're gonna be even beyond where you thought we were in 1967 and we were the biggest selling group of that year we're gonna go stratospheric now they had no concept. I don't that understand that concept because isn't the idea behind Head uh, to consciously commit suicide as a band? They didn't understand that. Okay. They didn't understand that part of it. Okay. They thought that they were going to be in, this was the first of their many feature films they thought they were doing, and they signed with NBC to do three hour-long But they TV were specials. there that way. So um, what, I'm, uh, what I understand about the, the genesis of Head is it was Raybert, the four guys, Jack Nicholson, smoking a ton of weed over the course of a weekend. So conceptually, they were there at the outset while they're building this. Now, I know we're not on head yet, but... We're getting, we're getting there. We're pretty much yeah, there. Yeah, we're pretty much there. Um, so, they didn't write the script. Right. And you, the script is... Um, but don't they know the idea is, let's just... No, okay. they I always figured it was like the the idea of is they're killing off the old concept of what the band was. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah and they're on to the... Not themselves, the not that they're going to end, but that, yeah. that thing that they were is going to end. Mm-hmm. They're on to the next thing, and they feel that they're creatively a part of the the record, the you know, the film, just like Birds, Bees, and the Monkeys says produced by the Monkeys. Right, it's not right. really produced right, by the Monkeys. Right. It's produced by individual members and then Chip Douglas and then a little bit of Shorty Rogers and a little bit of, you know. But for them, it's just the monkeys is this big thing now. It's this big umbrella that everybody's standing under. So they felt they actually wrote the script, but in reality, Jack Nicholson and Bob Ravelson wrote this script. And how it all uh, deconstructs in their mind and reconstructs to make a movie is a whole other thing. Let's get to head. So, so before we actually get there, let's uh, May '68. D.W. Washburn backed with "It's Nice to Be with You." Huge uh, mistake. Yeah, <laughs> the, the biggest misstep in their career. Selected by Lester Sill. So this never this never really struck me as a as, as a disaster. More just a minor release. Uh, di- but just out of curiosity, why disaster? Because the Monkees also had a problem with radio at this point. And 
they had given exclusives on some of the other previous singles. And so some radio stations never played D.W. Washburn. And people were kind of gleeful to kind of like the, you know, the Burning the Bee Gees records. Mm-hmm. You know, when the band becomes that successful and that overexposed, there was a certain glee in, uh, you know, there's uh, air checks from the period. Well, that was D.W. Washcloth by the right. Monkees. We're sick of them. And so. this is their last American Top 40 single until that was then. This is now in That's 1986. Right. Yeah. It would fit comfortably on Birds, Bees, and the Monkees. Mm-hmm. It would, yeah. Because um, it's that all-over-the-place style. Right. But um, but as far as their their next single, and then what they picked as their next single to follow this up, really put uh, put the, the nail, uh, the first nail in the coffin of Speaking their Speaking of the coffins, phase three, post-fab, or how to methodically dismantle a pop phenomenon, 1968 to 1970. November 1968, Head. So from what I'm to understand about the title, the reason that they named it Head is because in the advertisements, they wanted it to read from the from the guys who gave you Head. Yeah, I, I think that that's a clever afterthought by okay, Rafael Schneider. Right. Like a, a lot of things in looking at the at the lack of success for, for this movie, um, that th- they sort of buried it. And, um, you know, it was originally called Changes, and then it was called Untitled. And then at the last minute, they changed it to Head. Thank Head God. is a pretty great subversive joke it is. all around. Yeah, There's it a lot is. of ways it that it's kind yep. of... That's, you know. But when it was being shot, it was under it was under the, you know, changes. All the clapboards say changes and everything else. Okay. So, okay. so they were, it was, you know, it was supposed to be the changes of the monkeys. The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the monkeys are, you know, you're getting to see them be serious. And there were some great reviews of it at the time. But... It got quickly buried, and what's interesting is the lead-off track of the album was also the next single, which is the Porpoise Song. And the most interesting thing about the Porpoise Song is that you know at the time there were three different charts for the radio here in the U.S. There was Billboard, which is what most people follow, Cashbox, Cashbox, and Record World, mm-hmm. and they but all f- three of them would have different chart positions. Now, Billboard rated Porpoise Song the lowest, and you know, it was supposed to be a mixture of radio airplay. And uh, sales in uh, record world, Porpoise Song was like a top forty record, but it was top forty. And then the next week, you know, usually you see records they go up, you know, they start out at number sixty two, and then they go up to maybe forty five, and then they maybe they creep up to twenty nine, and maybe they go further, or maybe they just start sliding down. But they always slide down. Porpoise Song gets onto the chart, and it disappears. In a week, it doesn't have any. It, it goes from like number forty to nowhere. It's like somebody called up mm-hmm. and said, "Take this song off the chart right now." It's and so I don't think it was Raybert. I think it was there were other forces inside the industry that were literally pulling the monkeys down. They were done with the monkeys, and this was the beginning of their dancing on the grave of the monkeys. It's and truly one of the greatest songs. Uh, one, one of, of their, all time. Of all time. I mean, it, it's an incredible... It would be my favorite monkey song, except there's another song in the soundtrack that, that takes that The B-side? Uh, As We Go Along is yeah. my favorite monkey song. Which is written by Tony Stern, and I think mm-hmm. Tony Stern was girlfriend at the time of Burt Schneider, and that's he paired her up with Carole King to write that. Yeah. And, that one's right up my alley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they later went on to write even huger songs right. for Tapestry. But Rafelson asked specifically for Goffin and King to write the title song to his movie. And, you know, they came up with a porpoise song. It's recorded sort of in the middle of the night here in Los Angeles. 
crazy, you know, like Earl Palmer on the drums and Jack Nietzsche arrangement. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable record. And, and that lyric, it's it, in a lot of ways, it's their best, most apt lyric. Transcendent. Yeah. Head somehow holds up um, through the ages very, very well. Yeah. I think people still discover it and still enjoy it. Um, it's not a relic of its time, really. It, it, no. it is, but it isn't. I think it's timeless, too. There, There is still no other movie that is like Head. And for most people, they'd say, well, there's a good reason for that. No one needs that. But it's endlessly fascinating to me. A, a really, truly brilliant piece of work. And the soundtrack is, again, a five-star record for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely a five-star record. So really, there's only kind of six full-length tunes on this? Yeah, it's like an EP. Um, you know, you got, yeah. Everyone excellent, though. It's true, yeah. Um, and they're longer. Well, they're longer th- songs for the most part. So you, so it, it, it has... It has an album feel, and Nickel da- Jack Daddy, Nicholson. Daddy's song is the only one I think that does. See, I love that. One. I really? like that one a lot. So again, that's so in Harry Nilsson's voice as a songwriter. Yeah. And originally that was supposed to be Michael singing lead on that, and he wanted to do the song and dance, but uh, and in this context, it's kind of subversive again. So I, well, it's I such a sad a song. I mean, yeah. you know, the father, the father leaving, you yeah. know, abandoning, uh, and and that actually would have been up Nesma's alley, you know. Um, it's it's a brilliant record, and Peter has two of his strongest songs. And that, Peter and Michael didn't always get along, but that was the thing that Michael would always say about this record. He goes, "Those two songs on Head are Peter's best," and he goes, "They're as good as any Buffalo Springfield, any yeah. '60s Birds, whatever." I think that those two songs capture everything about that style of music that was happening in Los Angeles at that time. Peter totally nails it. I think what Nicholson did with the sort of sound collage and everything else, it's a forward-looking record. Right. So Jack Nicholson actually compiled this record. He's responsible for assembling it. It's always a good sign in a record where you wish there was more of the record. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it usually means you got a good record on your hands. The, the movie functions in two ways, too. And the first time I ever saw it in the 80s, somebody mentioned this to me, and it and this was what struck me, and I always think about this, is that the songs live apart from the movie. Because if you notice, when they go into a song, you're taken totally out of the movie, and it's like mm-hmm. all this other stuff around those songs. It, it's just it's just that space to get to those songs. And with a song as great as As We Go Along, I mean, it's you know unbelievable. And the, and the, the people playing on that, it's it's crazy. Yeah. What, what, what's so we have Ryan you can see Cooter. the whole you can see the whole movie by the way on um, on YouTube yeah it's, it's, so it's easily who, who's on as we go along you got Ry Cooter Neil Young right uh, all of the monkeys who else is on that well not all the monkeys no it's just Mickey singing on it oh, and, okay. and Carol King's playing some guitar and and uh, but yeah I mean the the session credits for all that stuff are you know it's on staggering the, yeah it, yeah really staggering yeah. It was but there's nice doing research for this that there's voluminous credits for these sessions yeah. so you can tell who plays in almost everything at least up to a certain point that was a thing I started in 1990 91 going to mm. the AFM I I got permission from the vice president at the time to look at the session records and so the first box set that I did on the monkeys in 91 listen to the band that was the first one that actually published the accurate uh, credits, which I've continued to to upgrade and and supplement with more information that I found in going through all the original session tapes. So that's that's all my work. Good work. Good it's work. very detailed. Very it's very, it's yeah. really helpful for a show yeah. like this doing this. And and fascinating to me. This is a lot of times how I my, my lens of looking through things. I'm fascinated by these players from this time and how these records were made. So it gives I mean, you a deeper appreciation. Yeah, it really absolutely does. does. Yeah. Um, so it, this is where Rafelson and Schneider get off the bus, right? Yes and no. They 
that's what they say because they're moving on to producing Easy Rider. Easy Rider comes up, then we have, of course, Five Easy Pieces. Right, but they're but they're actually they still own the name The Monkeys and they own all the content in a joint venture with Columbia Pictures at this point. And they are involved with The Monkeys up through 1971 when the original band uh, disbanded. Basically, the monkeys are not allowed to be the monkeys without the permission of Bob Rufus and Merch Schneider, despite whatever their business machinations are, and they try many. So, Rufus and Schneider, their their next thing is that they handed off the production duties on this television special, 33 and a Third Revolutions, per monkey to Ward Sylvester, right. who had worked for them and was a, a, a executive producer on the television show and had managed Davy Jones before the monkeys and worked with Michael Nesmith in, later in his career, too. So, so, I just watched this last night, and I got to say... Pretty bonkers. It is bonkers. <laughs> Crazier than head, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, helmed by Jack Good, who was a, a visionary a rock, uh, you know, TV pr- uh, producer with Shindig, and then in in England, even more so with Oh Boy and Six Point Five Special and these things. But he was kind of grinding in certain acts, and most people say, well, he's grinding the acts of what's in head, which is that the monkeys are artificial and they're breaking out of it. But no, his real thing was he loved early rock and roll music. And he would use any opportunity to get it back on American television, including Shindig. If you watch a complete Shindig episode, you know, you see these great clips. There's Birds, Chad and Jeremy, the Beach Boys. If you saw a full episode, you'd see that it was filled with rock medleys of, you know, you get like two songs by the Birds in an hour show where it was mostly like Bobby Sherman and Donna Lauren doing rock around the clock and all these things. Because that's what where Jack Good was. He thought that rock music, that's where he got stuck. It was always going to be there. So when the monkeys get to go do a special, we're going to get Little Richard, Fats Domino, right, right. Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, it's incredible. They loved all those people too, but those people get more airtime than the monkeys. Right, right. The, the framing device of the show, where it's like with the with their, their, Brian Auger and Julie yeah, Driscoll are, that, the, are the focal point. The whole first five, the whole first five minutes is real rough. You know, this is. You <laughs> I know, imagine a lot of people turned it off. There's no officially sanctioned release for this album, Correct. but but it needs to be addressed. Um, well, there's an there issue is because an, there's not really studio recordings of these, right? That's right. No, that's it's so, only the audience, so the, only the audio from the show, which the, they send live. The vinyl bootleg is apparently uh, a microphone held up to a TV speaker, right? Right. Well, we did a box set for Rhino Handmade called, uh, for the Instant Replay album, which we're get into. But as bonus tracks, we included as much of the material as we had good copies of. But primarily, that comes from acetates and also the you know the the audio off of the video, which was shot on two inch video originally, and then edited together in a, a crazy fashion. But 33 and a third was 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 taped rather just a week after Head came out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean that's how fast they're going right, into. Right. Head is already over with within a week of it previewing and and then going through the premiere here in LA. Porpoise Song is off the charts. Head as an album hasn't even come out yet, and they're making 33 and a third, and it's the last project with Peter Tork. Right. And this uh, this I didn't know about uh, until doing the research for this, but this was actually supposed to be the first of three specials. Correct. Then when they saw it, they were like, not only aren't you doing anymore, but we're going to dump it against the Academy Awards. <laughs> right. Um, People sure did used to do a lot of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the I'm a Believer Blues uh, that's some sludge moves going on there, indicative kind of like of, an R&B, like a chin scratching heaviosity <laughs> happening there. Um, the bit with Davy and the little Lord Fauntleroy doll thing, 
that was that was kind of wow. <laughs> By the way, my favorite Peter Turk song title is definitely "I Prithee." Do not ask for love. Yeah, it's actually written by Michael Martin Murphy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so, that, and, so Peter and, Torek just sang it. Okay. I really like this song. I actually think uh, that's this one is, of the better things in there. Yeah, this is going to this is going to go that's on our cool. playlist. So we boil it. We have a huge master playlist. There's also a bit where they're doing the uh, the robot in like 1960, whatever. That was pretty. <laughs> Why that man? pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, I love it as an artifact, as just how weird and out things could get at that time. You could, and this is like ostensibly like a, the audience is like teenage girls or something. It's, it's again very subversive, pretty pretty interesting to to watch it um, as an artifact of its time. It's not like Head, where it's like an amazing piece of art, but it's still kind of yeah, interesting yeah. to watch. <clears throat> I didn't really rate thirty three. Uh, and a third. I give it a, three and a half as stars. A thing, so it's kind of not really an. I give album. it three and a three point three. I know. I, know. Three po- <laughs> I love you. Uh, that's a man against uh, N- coming after my own N- heart. N A for me. N A. Yeah. No, Sometimes I I'll throw out N A's. Look, I I I really do like this. It's it really it's on is YouTube totally if you want to check it out. Batshit crazy. You know, just listening to the ten minute version of Listen to the Band, it really is completely insane. Then that's the last thing Peter does because uh, December 1968, he leaves the group. And uh, then we're down to, and then there were three. February 1969, instant replay comes out. Uh, so this is 11 months after the cancellation of the TV series. And also, uh, this is the only one of their original albums that has no songs that are on the show. It's called Instant Replay because it's half new songs and half old songs. Okay. So some of these are rejects from War of the Monkeys and, uh, or things that were left over for Birds, Bees, and the Monkeys, uh, like Through the Looking Glass and Me About You or from that late 67 Boys and Heart uh, splurge in the studio. And then um, there's The Girl I Left Behind Me, which is an outtake from More of the Monkeys, and Teardrop City, which is an outtake from More of the Monkeys as well, and that was their next single. So uh, the the prevailing ideology for this piece, uh, as put forth by Brendan Cahill, is that is that my pronunciation? Yeah, he's right? Brendan Cahill. That's correct. So so it was to sort of look back to recapture their success. Look back right? and look forward. Yeah, I mean they were they Teardrop City is an attempt to get back to radio uh, to and get back actually, on the radio, and they're actually lis- listening to past stuff that had been languishing in the vaults, right? Which they had tons of, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, and it's not all that old, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's it's, only, they've only yeah, been at yeah. it a couple of years. Yeah, so it's yeah. like 18 months old, <laughs> right. but right. it seems like it's ancient uh, by that time. But they, they gave it a shot and it didn't work. There's some, there's a bit of like an AM radio kind of quality to this where they're kind of, there's like a sort of a split happening in rock music where this, things are getting kind of heavier and like FM radio is starting to be a thing. And they're kind of like going in that. AM. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unfairly called bubblegum because it's not really. Bubblegum is a certain style of music that, you know, the Kaznets, Cats, there's a real yummy, yummy, you know, there's a real style to it. This is not. This is pop. I feel like Changes was like that. Yeah. This is is a pop record. Right. And, um, but you have in mid 68, Michael Nesmith went to Nashville and did the first sessions with uh, session players there that really started up the country rock phase. And, and so you hear uh, Don't Wait For Me on here, and uh, it's sort of the beginning of that phase where he's starting to sprinkle out some of these Nashville tunes. Um, that, that is a great song. I yeah. love that one. Um, While the, I Cry is another a great one. While I Cry is great. sort of like proto-soft rock, kind of yeah. like proto-70s like, like, uh, folk. Like, a little bit uh, of a bread 
right kind of flavor. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> a man without a dream is uh you know i i i'm actually i think it, it half works and half doesn't really work as well it's an attempt to do a kind of a more of the monkeys type of a record mm-hmm. in in that sense where it it has a little bit of all these different flavors it's a lot less experimental than birds bees oh yes yeah, yeah. yeah from here forward we're kind of we're regressing away from experimentation, <laughs> which is okay because, you know, from looking at it, doing a trawl like this, it's it's interesting how everything kind of opens and then everything starts to close up again, and, and that's right. the the circular uh, circular thing we're seeing here. Uh, I had this initially at two and a half, but then I kind of I thought I'd like it better than that. I gave it three. I'm right. I'm, a, I'm firm on the three stars for this. I, I think there's a lot of great songs on it. It has and a pretty good batting average. It's not really as inspired. It doesn't have like no. a sound like right. the other ones, and the, you don't really feel like they're pushing forward. But the selection of songs is pre- pretty solid. Bones Howe, who produced the songs for the 33 and a Third television special, and does Man Without a Dream, he he does Someday Man, which is a single only track. Mm, I love that song, and, and I think that that's one of Dave's Paul strongest. Williams' version yeah. of that is. To, to yeah, I knew that one before I ever knew the Monkeys version. Yeah. Although I, that was, I guess, the Monkeys version was. A you also knew a Man Without a Dream because it's on the City album, right? Uh, you know what, what I wrote in my notes about this record. I, I kind of stand by. It's a humble hat in hand traditional entertainers album, positing these dudes as song and dance men singing for their supper. <laughs> it's again, yeah, in that style of we've now we're three and we can each have four songs on a record. And we, we have our each have our own brand under the umbrella of the monkeys. And we're gonna go on tour to support this record with an all black R and B band, Sam the Good Timers, which is completely bonkers, keeping it is. keeping with their credibility of whatever we do, we're going to go you can't if you had a twenty sided dice, you wouldn't figure out our next move here. Mm-hmm. Somebody played D and D growing up. So in over April, here, over here, yeah, over here too. I only heard about it. <laughs> uh, okay, April nineteen sixty nine. We have someday man and listen to the listen to the band on the B side. Right. Um, that it gets is, flipped and, and promoted. At, both are promoted as A sides at different periods of time. This single, I give five stars. Yeah, strong uh, single. Very very strong. It got play. It got radio play, and it it looked like it was going to be uh, a, a hit, but it wasn't. And then we're on to, we're on to one. yeah October nineteen sixty nine. The monkeys present or is it the present? monkeys present present? Okay. Yeah, it's not, not the, the monkeys, monkeys present. Yeah, I never knew until it's the monkeys right now. Pre- present. David, Michael, and Mickey. I right, think. that is the full. That's the title. full title. Yeah. And um, to me, this record is a kind of a step up from Instant Replay, and I feel that it had it's more coherent. It's got less. It has a few clunkers. But it, it has a little bit more of a of a flavor to it that sort of I like it actually too. I love the Buffalo Springfield's last time around album. It has a has mm-hmm. a sort of this dark kind of late afternoon feel to it. Yeah. I, I, I do like I do like it a lot. There's a couple bad songs on this record, but but there's some some of their best songs. And Mickey is back after right. kind of taking a bit of a backseat. He's he's now producing songs and coming up with some great stuff on here. I'm glad they didn't follow their initial uh, impulse <laughs> of doing a double album. That would right, not with have one, been a good one idea. side for each, which was what they were going to do in, you know, instead they of... They already did their white album, though. They didn't need to do that. Right. It's kind of interesting in contrast to Instant Replay. I, they're, to me, they're kind of similar. It's hard to... This one, probably, maybe the best stuff is better on Monkeys Present, 
but the bad stuff is worse. So right, Ladies Aid Society is not a good good track. No, and it wasn't a no. good track when it was done for more of the monkeys. Mommy and Daddy is pretty rough. I, I like I, Mommy. I, I think Daddy. Mommy and Daddy is great. I like that. Yeah. that one, I like that a lot. I one didn't. I don't know. I didn't think that one. Yeah, no, that one, that one, that that one's good. I, 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 not a huge fan of Oklahoma backroom dancer, not a huge fan of looking for the good times. I do like, um, you know, I, I, I love the opener, um, little girls, great song. Little girls, great. French song. Super cool. French song is, is really vibey and great. Good, clean, fun. Good, clean, fun is great, obviously. These are kind of all, this whole period. Um, these are all kind of good little oddball little records. They're kind yeah. of like they're not—they're not the stuff that you've heard a million times. No, that's, they, that's why it, it, it so doesn't that, sound tired. That kind of has its own charm to itself. That it's you know these these are almost these were all, this record. I think I don't think I'd heard anything. Structurally, the main weakness to me is a stretch on the first side that really sags, which is uh, "Bye Bye Baby," "Bye Bye," "Never Tell a Woman Yes," and "Looking for the Good Times." This I give the record four stars. I think it's I think it's really good. I'll give it a three and a half. I give this one three, the same that I gave. Uh, it's instant replay. We are sort of at the uh, the same tier of things going straight through. Um, all right, then that's we're, because it's objective truth. <laughs> it's true. Uh, June nineteen seventy changes. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, on on April fourteenth, nineteen seventy. Uh, Nez joined uh, uh, Mickey and and uh, and Davey for the last time. Uh, as part of the original incarnation of the monkeys to do a Kool-Aid spot, right? Correct, yeah. And he had already started in February of 1970. He had severed ties with the monkeys contractually and began recording Magnetic South, his first mm-hmm. album with the first national band. In, and uh, interestingly enough, you get to this period of changes, and they're getting great ratings on Saturday mornings, beating out a lot mm. of other children's shows with these new uh, Kool-Aid commercials that they've been shooting through 1969. And Nerf balls and all these right. other things that they're promoting. Yeah, there's a lot of t- tie-ins over the years. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, these are all just for this Saturday morning thing, and they're redubbing in the songs from from the soundtrack uh, uh, onto the soundtrack from Present. And what they find is, unlike in the original incarnation, uh, people weren't buying the records when they heard them on TV, even though right. lots of people were watching it. They weren't moved to buy the new records, mm-hmm. and so this this last record changes the last of the original incarnation gets to a point where RCA, who was manufacturing and basically subsidizing, giving an advance to Raybert to give to the monkeys uh, to make new records and say, yeah, come to RCA Studios, make these records. It's it's when they get to this record that immediately they pull the plug and say, we're done with the monkeys. So this is a kind of a weird, sad, yet apropos end to the first incarnation of the band, I feel. And here's why. Uh, <clears throat> it's... It's a mirror image of the first album. So they're sort of kept men um, and you have, uh, you know, they're just whatever material is being doled out of them, they're performing, except the writing is just at a different lower tier. Well, it's it's a lot more to do with more of the monkeys than the first album, I'd say. I think th- I think there, there's a lot of inspiration in that first album, because you have the two Nesma songs, which he's fresh out of the gate. No one's ever heard his music, mm-hmm. really. And you have Boyce and Hart, who are, have never been given over a whole album. So, so I wouldn't compare it at all to that. And I actually um, met with Jeff Berry out here in, in L.A., and uh, I played him changes. I tried to make him listen to changes with me, and he's like, "Turn it off. Just turn it off." You can't look. I, By the I go, way, these, what were you thinking? These guys are talented. He's talented. Andy Kim. Andy is, Kim is, is very good. But then this somehow just feels stillborn. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's a few good tracks. I think Do You Feel It Too, which is an Andy Kim song, I think is really good. Ticket on Over- a Ferry Ride is, I like that. It's more <laughs> overall, of a mood than a song. Overall, it's a kind of low energy kind of. Very affair. low yeah, energy. This yeah, is, yeah it's, your battery's running down on this one, yeah, you yeah. know. And, and But Oh My My is interesting. It's, it's interesting that they're going into this bubblegum soul direction, which they had tried to do with the Sam and the Good Timers tour, which was a big disaster. They played more dates in 1969 than they did in 1967. Uh, but to fewer audiences and mostly at state fairs, their their dream was quickly fading. Nesmith was out. He he did a contract where he could might have to come back in five years if the monkeys were still existing, if things didn't work out with the first national band. So do you like anything on Changes? Oh, my, my. I sort of have a soft spot for it because... It's such a weird single yeah. for them, and that it went to number ninety-eight. So that's kind of you can tell that's where <laughs> they're at. With a bullet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was on for the charts for two weeks, I think. And and um, but I, I do like "Do You Feel It Too." Um, All Alone in the Dark is kind of fun. There's two songs in this written by that written by Ned Albright. Do you know Ned? Yeah, well, he's he's the writer with right. Steve Souls. So Ned was in a band with my dad in oh, the yeah. '60s called The Live Wires. They did okay. one single for ABC. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't, it's, you know, it's not an unlikable record when you play it. I mean, I've had to hear it many times because I've sat in on various reissues and remastering it and whatnot, but it's not an unlikable record. It's just unremarkable, unfortunately. The good stuff, and there is good stuff, is just less good. I give it it's two stars. way, way less good. What, what yeah. did I originally say? I gave it one um, or two? Let me see. Uh, I have this here just in case you yes. change your mind. I'm watching you. <laughs> yeah, I uh, want to know. For statistical uh, purposes. Present uh, Changes is two. You, you agree with me this time out. Yeah, yeah. I It's a, it barely a two. But, yeah. but, you know, I don't hate it. It's just... Yeah, it just mm-hmm. is. I'm it giving it a two as well. I think yeah, you're, you're guys, reaching a lot of consensus. Yeah. I'd rather be listening to their other previous albums. Absolutely. Yeah. So then we enter a new phase, the last phase. Phase four, 51 years of reunions, 1970 to 2022. Uh, let's make that 52 years of reunions. This, <laughs> these uh, notes were written apparently well, a couple weeks ago. no further reunions <laughs> in 2022. Right. Okay. So uh, in 1986, uh, we have Then and Now, The Best of the Monkeys. And the reason I'm bringing that up is uh, three new recordings featuring vocals by uh, by Mickey and Peter. That was then, this is now, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and a remake of Paul Revere and the Raiders' Kicks. Um, neither Nez nor Davy Jones participated in the recordings. Now, there was a revival of Monkey Mania, hardcore at this time. Huge. Because the, the Monkeys. The MTV I saw them with the Grassroots and I think one other band. Herman's Hermits and Gary Puck and Union Gap right. were, on, were on that tour. And there's no other artist from the 60s who had that kind of comeback who hadn't had, you know, I mean, we're not talking the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or the Who or the Kinks where it was a continuum, um, you know, or nobody, the Beach Boys. Nobody in the like summer. went away entirely and then came back. <laughs> exactly. Right. Where they're on TV all the time and they're, right. and, you know, it it lasted almost as long as the original, you know, huge right. stratospheric success. By 87, it was on the downward, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so that was then. This is now is a, is a hit. It's like a top twenty hit, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it sounds kind of like an eighties TV. Theme it does. Song, right? It does. 
the original version by the Mosquitoes. Yeah, I heard uh, that. It's pretty good. It's good. It's, it's like really a, it's like a Paisley Underground sounding kind of jangle pop. Yeah, you can thing. hear where it would be a monkey song. And and Vance, who wrote it, is a great guy. He plays with Peter Noon and has played with him for decades. But but it's interesting the Michael Lloyd's production style and heavy eighties. But right. you know, got on the radio and but decent. I mean, I give it one and a half stars. And by the way, I'm talking those three songs. <laughs> right. Right. Not anything else. Well, uh, they, they had to get it past. Cl- I mean, this is a Clive Davis. Record. The so. production on that was then. This is now. The song is okay. It's it work. It's it's of its time, but it's like the other ones from the the other two are like just chock full of like crazy eighties. <laughs> like well, like, kicks in particular is interesting. That Peter hated it, but uh, even though he's on it, not as much as Davy, who had other reasons because Davy was still angry at Arista Records, who had taken over the catalog from Bell because they'd done one album with him uh, called Davy Jones which had a, a minor hit called Rainy Jane, and he was still angry. He felt it was the same people working at the record company. He didn't know it was a revolving door there that every <laughs> three right. years they kick out everybody and right. it was new people, but that's why he refused to be on he this He thought record. that when you got a job, it was you had it for the rest of your life. Exactly, and it was the same people who screwed him then or screwing him right. you know, at Arista Records. So he would leave the stage when they performed. That right. was then this whole kind of era here, there's a lot of like the production sounds, a lot of like DX7, like yeah. crispy like marimba sound. But, but the like, reason why they redid kicks was because that was in the just say no era mm-hmm. and so it was there was an incentive to do an anti-drug song right right for the for the guys who gave you head <laughs> right right <laughs> it definitely doesn't make you want to do drugs no so that's no good. no it kind of it's effective in that way yeah the uh I mean, that was then, this is now, sounds like, uh, you know, warm analog tape compared to what's coming right around the corner. Right, although all this stuff is recorded on analog, despite, you know, yeah, it, yeah. Pool It is, a, is an analog record, despite what you really? would think. Oh, yeah. It, it's just, it's just the, the, the reverbs are very digital. The sounds, okay. the, the keyboard sounds, you know, even like the... Uh, the sounds like the guitar amplifiers are a lot of like jazz chorus, like not a lot of it's not very tubey sounding. No, but the, it is analog tape. Though. The producer of this record though has remarkable credentials, and only a year or two previous had made records that sound just like what you're talking about. He produced the Undertones records, which are fabulous. Yeah. He was the you know uh, engineer on East Side Story by Squeeze. Mm-hmm. You know he engineered some of the best Elvis Costello records, like this year's Model and Armed Forces. And so I had such high expectations to hear Pool It because I, when I saw Roger Bacharian's because name Because of the attached, title, you, you got to think that this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Well, then when then, I saw the cover, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. yes. But no, seriously, when it came out, I have, you know, this is one of the few that I have the attachment of, you know, thinking about it when it came out. I was really, I thought, well, Rhino's doing this. They've got some smart people over here. I was a teenager, but I still thought, like, Roger Bacharian, I love the Undertones. It's one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And Elvis Costello and Squeeze and... You know, Nick Lowe. I mean, it felt like if they could grab onto that flavor, man, that'd be so great. Boy, did they not grab onto that flavor. In defense of it, in context... This era, 86, 87, is like the peak of bad-sounding 80s records. All those people I mentioned, for the most part, didn't make good records then either. You know, like... It's not the best era of Nick Lowe or Elvis Costello or even Squeeze. You get your Cosi Fantuti Fruity or whatever else. Right. It, it's heavily into this sort of Paul Young, you know, uh, yeah, fretless bass sort we're of sound. Just, we're just and, exiting the classic Elvis Costello phase here. Yes, yes. Um, so Pulit's the following year, right? 87? Right? Pulit is 87. Um, Let's talk about the cover yeah, and the title. Let's talk about it at length. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I only have so much time left. Um, yeah, it uh, is no good. <laughs> So there, there, and it's 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 a classic, like hilarious album. It is, it is. Uh, Look, the thing is, it sounds uh, it sounds like all the worst digital kind of stuff. We don't really need to talk about it too much. We don't. It's not. I do. I do love. Look, not love. I do like. I'd go the whole wide world. Right, and Reckless Eric actually came to one of the shows. Who wrote that song? And it was mm-hmm. one of his records on Stiff. Came to a Mike and Mickey show just a few months ago. Uh, the last time they played through his area, where he lives on the East Coast, and he was so appreciative to to Mickey. He wanted to shake his hand. Thank you so much for singing my song. So it was it was a lovely moment. And I think Heart and Soul, which is a lead off track and was a single. I think that's that's great. one of the better ones. Yeah, that's a great yeah. thing to me. That's better than that was than this is now and. But they had pissed off MTV, and so MTV wouldn't play the video. Mm-hmm. And even though they were getting the most requests, MTV uh, extracted some revenge on them for Davey not showing up at this uh, tailgate party the previous year and said, the monkeys is over on MTV. We're going to bury oh, you. Oh, God. So, so that's why there was no follow-up also, to pool it. <laughs> Peter's song on this is kind of, it's not really good, but it's in the spirit. He's kind of going for like an Oingo Boingo kind of mm-hmm. thing. He's kind of trying to stay with Peter the Peter embraced new wave music and loved 80s music. I mean, right. he, he truly loved it. I'm not saying whether or not that was a great thing or, <laughs> or what, but he was, even in the more modern day, I mean, he would be more apt to go in a synthy sort of direction. I mean, he loved that kind of a style. Yeah, his, his track, I forget what it's called. It's something. Getting in. Getting right. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's, I wouldn't say it's a successful experiment, but it's like it's you know it's a, no. And you, he's in the spirit of it though. You're lacking some great songwriting. You're not getting any songwriting from from uh, Davey or Mickey, and you're not getting any songwriting from Michael Nesmith. You're me, really th- missing it. This barely counts so. as Cannon Monkeys. I mean, I give there's it a little, half star. There's a little bit of ska in there. Scotch. She's there? she's moving in with oh, Rico. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is great pull, title. Pull it. You gotta, she's moving in with Rico. I love that title. <laughs> that is such a great song title. I gave it one star. But you're being one star. Okay, you give it one as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, then another long pause is the next thing that happens. Right. So we we go about uh, we go nine years here, and then Justice comes out. So this is recorded in celebration of thirty years. Um, together uh, features the return of Nesmith, Nesmith to the group um, and the first album of theirs since 68 since Head to feature all four of them uh, also the final studio record to feature contemporary recordings of right. Davy Jones uh, before his death in 2012 uh, this final monkeys what's that uh, he did other recordings as solo between, right right yeah, monkeys but, recordings yeah because um, this, no matter how you feel about it, or you know, this in a lot of ways is the most pure monkey record. Yeah, I disagree with you. But here's, <laughs> but here's my argument for that: is even with headquarters, there's other guys playing on it and whatnot. This is just the four of them, right? It is, but um, I feel like they sublimated some of their some of their instincts to make this record because they were hung up on trying to be contemporary. And I think mm-hmm. that's the problem with Poolit as well, is it trying to be too contemporary. I, I think they struck some success with That Was Then, This Is Now being contemporary. But mm-hmm. I feel that's the downfall here. At the time, the the uh, the attitude was that they want to make a record that sounded like the Screaming Trees. That's literally <laughs> what they, they wanted. They called really? up the drum doctor and they uh-uh. said, can you rent us the kit? They go, we have the kit that they used for the Screaming Trees and we'll get the guy to mic it up. It's going to sound just like it. And they were like, yes, this is what we want. 
And my thought at the time, and I was somewhat involved uh, with Rhino at the time. Well, I was very involved with Rhino and the Monkees at that time. And I was like, they're going to make a Monkees record. No, the Monkees is over. We're making just us. This is going to be... And in fact, we want the money from Rhino to fund this record, but no one is allowed in the studio. No one gets to hear it until we're done with it. And then we lay it on your your uh, desk and you get to hear it. And when it first came to the mastering studio, I, I called Bill Inglot, who was... They they weren't even let Rhino master it. It was just we were getting the production part and we we're going to filter it through to manufacturing. I said, I, I got to hear this record. What's it like? They scream over the whole thing, Andrew. And he's a huge Monkeys fan. I'm like, no, no, no. There's got to be some good songs on here. There's been good songs even on Pool It and Changes. And I was really, really Do disappointed. Do you think there's no good songs in it? I rarely go back to this album. I think You and, you I, and I is okay, you but that's a I Dolan like Shows Voice and Heart song, really. Although it's better on this. It has like a hard rock kind of vibes throughout, kind of grungy guitars. They yeah. totally want to do that. Admiral, I, Admiral Mike, especially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I it's I like the idea of it better than what they actually come Absolutely, up with. Absolutely. Yeah. In, I agree. In, uh, in reality, you know, um, there, I mean, the it's kind of refreshingly like, on Pro Tools, that's like pre-Pro Tools, so it, like, it kind of sounds like them playing, which is kind of nice. It's kind of maybe an interesting one-time-through listen. I don't really they, see myself revisiting. They really it. played well on it too. I mean, and, and Mickey's like, drumming like the, is great. I yeah. love the conceptual idea that okay, finally we have a totally like if you liked Headquarters, this is even more of just Headquartersy, just Monkeys, and then they decided they were going to just imitate another band. I love right. that idea. To me, that's conceptually fascinating. Well, they're never, but I never want to hear it again. They're never the less problem. than interesting. They're never less than interesting <laughs> yeah, monkeys. Yeah, and yeah. I, there's a lot of monkeys fans who probably be uh, aboard that I wouldn't think that this is a good record, but I don't because I think that their highlights, as I've said before, are mm-hmm. so much higher than this. Yeah. Um, I actually got into a lot of trouble when this record came out because I was in a um, club in Hollywood called Jack Sugar Shack, and I was speaking with somebody. And they're like, so the new Monkeys record's coming out, and, and you know, what do you think? I go, I gotta tell you, it's not that good, and uh, it's really disappointing. I'm really disappointed. And someone overheard me and told their manager of the time, <laughs> Ward Sylvester, who had been the producer on Thirty Three and the Third Revolutions for Monkey, and I actually got called out. I had to make a, a personal apology to the Monkeys mm. for having spoken out of turn for a record that had not come out yet. So here you go doing it again. Have you not learned your lesson? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a safe space now. You are. It's, it's... And no one will ever hear this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they won't I'm get kidding. this far. They yeah, won't I'm get kidding. this far. Uh, I give this one and a half stars. I give it two. What did I say? One? Um Yeah, I'd say one. Yeah, you get yeah, you give it one. Um Wow, harsh manager. I, I uh, thought that the um <laughs> The best thing on it was was um, Michael Nesbitt's liner note, which was like the the fish eat my furniture. That was his contribution. But the, it's an interesting period for them. They do a TV special where he directs, and he produced. The, this is the only Monkey's album. And the album TV he special is the last time that they they do this kind of thing, right? Right, right, exactly. So um, they went on a British tour, and then uh, Michael said that he uh, would never work with them again. Uh, but then in 2011. They came back together to do a tour, which I'd organized, and I spoke with Michael, who I'd become friendly with over a long period of time, and he said, sure, I'd love to appear with them uh, at the Greek Theater, and uh, I'll come back with them, and he, he had laid out this whole plan with me, we'll put out four stools, and what happened was, 
Davey and Peter had both said, oh, it would be great if Michael joined us. So I contacted Michael and I set it all up. And then when I said, okay, well, he's going to come and you know do the show. Who does he think he is? After we worked hard all summer, he's going to come in now and he's going to steal our show. And both Davey and Peter said, and, and somebody who worked for one of them uh, actually came to me during the show or at the beginning said Andrew if there's any surprises I'm going to punch you in the face so hard you will never forget it you better not have Michael Nesmith anywhere near here and I already knew Michael was nowhere near the building he <laughs> he wasn't going to come I had politely put that back into the can so in, in a way that he wouldn't be upset and they would never know but it always upsets me the fans say Michael Nesmith's a terrible person he deliberately stayed away when he could have toured with Davy Jones and the reality is he would have maybe not toured with Davey. He would have definitely gotten on stage with them, was up for doing projects with them. But after he said yes, they said no after they asked. So it's a weird group dynamic. That's all I can say. So the the most amazing thing happens as far as their recorded output yeah. coming up here. Um, how much uh, of this had to do with you pushing this forward and how much with Adam and how much can you not... We're read? talking about the Good Times press. This is yeah, Good Times. Yeah. I, I'd yeah. say that it has all to do with John Hughes at Rhino. He okay. pushed He pushed this as a project and I facilitated and he pushed the Adam Schlesinger angle of getting Adam involved. And Mickey and I were involved at the outset. We thought that the concept would be... And this was something that... I had brought up in the Justice era. I was on the periphery. I said, hey, you know, there's all these unissued backing tracks. Why don't the monkeys, if they're all in the studio together, why don't they finish some of these great Goffin and King songs and Chip Douglas? We have all these things, you know? And they're like, no, 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 we're doing our own thing. <laughs> so so I came back to that idea with Mickey, and I said, well, look, you know, I have all these backing tracks, and they're great, and they have all the Wrecking Crew people. Now people know who the Wrecking Crew people right, are, right. and people know who these writers are, and would... And so we kind of approached Adam and John with some of these tracks, and we had a listening session. And then Adam said, well, I can get this person to write. And I had met Andy Partridge years before, so I approached him to write a song. I asked Different Tilburg from Squeeze to write a song, which they never really came up with. Paul Westerberg sent in something that— Really? Uh, yeah, which what was— What did he send in? Well, the thing is, we got very picky about it, because we started getting really good songs, as you heard on this yes. record. And, and if somebody sent us a song that had already been done or was just like— a cast off that they'd put out on a B-side or something. We're like, come on, it's the monkeys. Write a special song. Is this for them. a momentum builder? At first, are you getting that the the you know obscene amounts of great stuff, or is it building and all of a sudden it's taking on a life of its own? It happened all very quickly. In fact, it had to happen. It, it was like more of the monkeys, uh, very much like more of the monkeys, where the 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 cover. Like of more of the monkeys was shot before they made the record, mm -hmm. but they had to have the record in the stores. It was the same thing. We were going on this 50th anniversary tour, and Rhino set a release date and advertised this record before it was even completed, and so we had to finish it. And it was just a stroke of great luck. Adam was a very talented producer mm -hmm. and wonderful musician, and we had some great people on it. But John really pushed it forward. I I thought at the outset, if there's just one great more monkey song on here it's better than <laughs> better than fool it or justice but we just need one great song and if the rest of it's kind of fillery at least the monkeys will have climbed to this mountain 
but instead they made a whole good album. Yeah. And it's, there are four or five truly really outstanding songs. Yeah. With that, yeah. Like the Rivers Cuomo song, he really stuck he really nailed it. Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. Really, really nailed it. When um, I first heard that demo, just blown away. And and the Paul Weller Noel Gallagher song is yeah, one of my great. favorite that's monkey really songs fun. of there, all time. There's nothing I don't love on this yeah, record. Yeah, pretty much nothing. everything is solid. And then but then the 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 ace ones are really just they're really, they're really good. Yeah. So you know this uh, You bring the summer, the Andy Partridge song. That's so good. Again, I love, you know, you can hear a songwriter's voice like that. You can really hear the Andy. Yeah. Andy Partridge-ness yeah. He of wrote it. those specifically for them. He wrote several songs for the Monkees for this record, and he wrote that, um, I mean, I was in contact with him. He's like, this weekend, I'm going to be writing a song for the Monkees. And he's like, okay, here it is. And, you know, he really put his mind into it. And he, so so that's why we, like the 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 Westerberg and these other things were great concepts that we had. But if the people didn't deliver the stuff to us quickly right. or take, take it in the spirit, like Rivers Cuomo, I mean, that's an unbelievable yeah, song. Really I remember it. when when I bought this and I, I saw the songwriting credit for Noel Gallagher and, and Paul Weller, I was like, what the fuck? And then the title, and then I bring it home and it's like, smile. It's unbelievable. When we heard it's the like demo smile, of that. It's like Sgt. Pepper thing. It's unbelievable. Adam played me the demo and he's like, yeah, this is totally unfinished. I said, this is going to be so great. We have to finish this and we have to get more than one of the monkeys to sing on. Like the old days, like Pisces right. Aquarius. And... Um, and eventually he did. He got, you know, he got Michael and Mickey and, and really, really turned out great. And of course, I was there and I'm told I had a good time. What a great yeah. closer for, for the record. And, and Love to Love, which is a piece of history for the band, because that was supposed to be that third, never well, quite. Yeah, it's sort of in that zone of, of Little Me, Little Bit You. So that was my suggestion of, right. they were like, well, what do you have of Davey? And I said, well, this is probably the best thing that wasn't on an original album that we love could kind of. Love. And it's, you know, the all four of them singing on that. Neil so Diamond. The, so the three, the three living monkeys of the time, all did backing vocals. So all of a sudden, you know, um, we we had that. I mean, we talked about having more Davy on the record. Like, how do we co-opt his voice and you know mm-hmm. digitally put it into different things? But we, it, we, everything was done so quickly. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it, you know, it's now you look at it, and Adam died at the very beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Peter and Michael are both deceased, and you know John is no longer running. I mean, the whole era of that is gone. It's strange to think that that was recent history, but it's it's so far in the rearview mirror now. Yeah. And, but um, what a what an incredible. Thank God you guys did this. I mean, seriously, thank God because uh, the fact that that they had this left in the tank is unbelievable. Uh, no one could have predicted that this. I could have. I knew. That pushing it to this, I always saw this potential in them. And so, Good Times, it's a surprise that it's a 100% great record to me, but it's also, I knew they always could do it. It's just, yeah. can we get them to do it? Right. And it's sad that Davey it, it, wasn't around. But. It feels like a concept album about not just Monkey Monkey's records, but it's a concept album about the idea of Monkey's records. That's what the Monkey's became at the end. And, yeah. and certainly for Michael, the end became about how the audience was the monkeys. The monkeys was everybody who liked the monkeys and was in on the secret right. that the monkeys were cool, was actually, were great, yeah, right. had all this great stuff about them. And, and were authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so if you got that... Then you were one of the monkeys too. A lot of the times on the show, you know, we we are going through things chronologically, and there's kind of two different ways these things end. <laughs> it ends with like a lot of bad records that kind of <laughs> tail off, 
And then occasionally you get ones with a happy ending. And this is one of those this cases is definitely where that yeah. case. the story has a happy ending. This has nothing to do with you being in this room. I give this five <laughs> stars. I really do. I think it's a it's a masterpiece. It's I great. I give it a four and a half, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think I had a four good. on it or something because I'm honest because it's not Pisces, Aquarius, or Head. But it's, You're just being self-flagellating it's, it's so great. we respect you more. It's a great record, <laughs> and, and I'm proud of those guys. And it was great to be at the studio when they're making – I mean – I had listened to all these session tapes all my life and studied what they did. And then, you know, for some of the B-sides, I was behind, I was at, at Lucy's Meat Market. I was behind the mm. desk and I was telling Mickey, re-sing this or do this or do that. And I was cutting the tracks. I had Pete Thomas play drums on a track mm-hmm. and and, mm. um, and just incredible, you yeah. know, incredible. Well, you, it's great work. And then, um, you know, there's... Then it's kind of a coda. <laughs> yeah, there is kind of a coda. So Christmas Party comes out in 2018. Yeah. Uh, it's their 13th and final album. Again, we have Adam Schlesinger in on the party here um, with Nez's tracks produced by uh, Christian and Jonathan, his sons. Yes. Um, and the first uh, and only Christmas album. Um, this one doesn't feel, you know, it's not quite good times, but there's some great, uh, some good stuff. great songs There's on it. There's good stuff. It doesn't hang together as well. I mean, unfortunately, it's like tricking your kids into eating something they don't want or taking your pets to the vet. I always <laughs> like in good times to that because they were miserable, but it's like, trust me, this is going to work mm. out. Eat your and vegetables. Peter Peter right. was like, are you sure? You you really believe that people are going to want this record? I said, Peter, you got to trust me. And, and you know, it went, it went well, but he was so angry at Adam, didn't want to be in the studio, and he was really ill and didn't want to deal with anything but he still came through for me and did the vocals for the one track and that's his last ever performance he went not even to a he couldn't even make it to a recording studio he went to like a a a school university that had like you know a couple of microphones and and they had to just sort of cobble that together and then michael you know refused to be in the studio with adam and but there's the change that one chord the exactly i mean this is what it comes down to and there's no talking around from that but the upside was, I think, Snowfall is one of That's, the most yeah. brilliant Incredible. tracks. And he had just had quadruple bypass surgery. This is like his first thing. And then the Christmas song, very, very solid. Mm-hmm. And Mickey, you know, delivers Andy Partridge, writes, you know, Unwrap You Christmas, which is great. It's not a bad record at all. You're not even mentioning uh, the, the House of Broken Gingerbread. I mean, that's an amazing song. <laughs> we, I have to. I have to admit, um, Christmas music is like my least favorite yeah, genre. We, yeah, of music. we don't like Christmas music. I, I don't like Christmas. Period. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really. Well, this I don't really was like supposed to be originally. It was going to be a, a concept album called Winter World. Mm-hmm. We went to Michael and we said, "Look, we're not doing a traditional Christmas record. We're going to do a, a like a winter record, and it's going to be a conceptual winter record." like a conceptual song cycle. We thought this was so brilliant. The thing was that Michael flipped on us and we thought like, we're going to really sell him on this concept because we got this crazy great concept. And he said, oh no, no, that's terrible. I like traditional country music. Why don't we do something like the Manhattan Transfers Snowfall? <laughs> and we're like, what? And so, but then he he did and was like, well, this is great. And you know, he's like, and the Christmas song. And the Christmas song. He's too, like, we yeah. should have the real Christmas. And I was like, Okay, so again, always giving you the always giving you the head fake there, uh, that Nez. Yeah, but but, <laughs> but you know but what? It's the towering he accom- delivered. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, the towering accomplishments. Yeah, those are those are the better things on there. Yeah. I, it's it's uh, for me. Uh, Christmas music is just a rough listen. I give this two stars. Mm-hmm. It's probably better than that on a musical level. I just it, it's it's in the sort of 
competent genre album. The genre being Christmas music. I give it two and a half. Yeah. I don't know what I said. Uh, you're not allowed to rate it. You worked on it. Uh, <laughs> you uh, must not, re- not you hard must, enough. You, you must recuse yourself. <laughs> I gave it three, and yeah. and the thing is, my disappointment in this record is only that I wished it. The timing was different. We 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 got delayed in it. I wish Peter was well. I loved Peter so much. It breaks my heart that he's gone. I mean, I I, yeah. I miss David and I miss Michael, but I really, really, really love Peter so much, and I just don't feel that I got a chance to really close the close the the books with him. Um, we were always on good terms, but I, this record things left unsaid. No, I told him I loved him, but I, I basically I feel like. If he was more on this record, it would be a better record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm disappointed that just that we ran out of time. Yeah, There's one more record that I consider to be the core, in the core group, you don't have to rate it, but it's The Monkeys Live, The Mike and Mickey mm-hmm. Show, which I produced, right. and it was recorded live on their 2019 concert tour. And I think that track for track, it's the best live record. There is no other official live record. They had a record mm-hmm. they sold at concerts in 86, they had sort of this King Biscuit Flower Hour uh, knockoff record in 2001, which I don't think is as good. And the Live 67 is a remarkable artifact, but wasn't considered to be an original release. It's an mm-hmm. archival release. If you go and listen to Auntie's Municipal Court, Ballad of an Accidental Hipster, Birth of an Accidental Hipster, rather, and some of the other things, St. Matthew, there's some amazing performances on this live mm-hmm. record. Cool. You can stream it, but to me, not just because I worked on it, but it's a great thing and it shows that Michael as an amazing live performer and Mickey too so we're listen. gonna put, we're gonna put none of it on the playlist so you're forced to go out and buy it it's a great well you can listen you can stream it online and it's a great listen because what I did was unlike a lot of monkeys live records or what you would think where they'd be shtick of the talking between it's just hit after hit after hit deep tracks all the songs you love sunny girlfriend you told me mm-hmm. you know all those headquarters songs but on stage and them, you know, in good voice, and it's a really, really good record. Awesome. So that's my big sale for them. <clears throat> right. Well, you did great work with them, and you know, as far as the the shape of their arc, you know, it's a very interesting arc since really they were the world's first boy band. A total creation. I never think of it like that. Uh, Isn't yeah. it the Beach Boys because they're the boys? No. no. Uh, well, they were <laughs> not uh, unless you think of. I guess the way that they did the auditions and kind of handpicked. Yeah, they them. were. Yeah. They, it was a prefabricated, you know, total creation. There's got to be other groups though that that. That did uh, were put together in that kind of I'm way. Keep my tech, I'm going to keep my. Uh, my <laughs> this is going to be on. You're going to hit me on the head. <laughs> you let me. No, you let me know when. I'll keep this on 24 hours, <clears throat> and just text me when you figure that out. But I believe it's the monkeys. Um, depends on how you define it, I guess. I don't think yeah. it gives them enough credit. No, I think they'd cert- they've transcended that by no, far. No, so that's the thing about the arc. So they came together under that under that guise. They were a creation. Uh, but it was a beautiful creation and a wonderful creation. But it, it had a problem with they had a problem with being under someone else's control, especially during an era that they came up in. So they actually became a real band and a great band, which is completely nuts. They had a and problem then, being under anybody's control, including anybody's, each other's. Right. So and, and then oddly, they ceded the control that they took back slowly in tiny baby step measures until they were back dependent on sort of mommy daddy figures except these mommies and daddies didn't have such great baby food now not so tasty (laughs) so they blew away to the four winds their souls 
crossing paths every now and then to ring some cash registers and fondle the collective heart of the American public. <laughs> so are my top three albums in order. Uh, number three, mo- uh, I'm going to say a, a tie. I never do this, but a tie between More of the Monkeys and Birds, the Bees, and the Monkeys. My number two record is Head. My number one all-timer is Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. Worst album is either Changes or Pool It, but only if you count Pool It as canon. All right. Joe? So I have number three. I have Head as number three. Hmm. I have Headquarters as number two. And Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, number one. So we have... Usually we have the exact same list almost every goddamn show. I have the exact same list as you. How about your worst? My worst is Pool It. Okay. I'd say the worst records for me were Pool It and Just Us, but I have the same list as you, and and they're great records. If you haven't heard all of them, you know, you're going to enjoy they're an, the monkeys. They're an amazing band. If you tuned in and you thought... And you're still you, awake. No, no, of course everyone's awake. <laughs> it could be a very long drive or a plane flight. But that's no, why downloading is such a great thing for those, you know. Yeah. No, look, th- th- this is a band that in, in case you thought they were not as, uh, as serious as they are, they're a real band with a lot of great music. Um, a lot of talented people involved in making it on, all around. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to Andrew Sandoval, uh, they were able to have a, an amazing final act. We want to thank you profusely from the bottom of our tushies from coming in here and uh, waxing prosaic with us. We, I learned a lot from this. Uh, yeah, 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 without a doubt. You were definitely packed with information here. Um, so please uh, check out the playlist, uh, which is uh, the link to the playlist is in the show notes and also on our website, discography.com. Come chat with us in the Facebook discussion group, the uh, Discography Facebook discussion group. Follow oh, us on Instagram. Yeah, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Definitely subscribe. That helps us quite a lot and will help you not to forget. Give any us of the great five episodes. stars on your podcast platform. Go to like, you know, you can rank us in there. Yeah, and if you want to be part of a discussion group or just to tell us tell us how wayward and erroneous we are in our, in our opinions. Don't give us less than five stars. Yeah, that's If you're right. going to, just, just leave it alone. If either five or don't bother. Right. If you listen this far, you're probably giving us five stars. <laughs> we deserve it. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We have tons of great stuff coming up. Uh, Andrew, is there anything else you wanted to mention? Anything you wanted to um, get out there while we have you here? Well, if this is on before April, that Mickey Dolan's is doing a concert tour called Mickey Dolan's Solo. The Monkeys, which I'm the producer of, and we're going to do some odd and amazing things in the set list. We've also been digging through all of his films and personal photos, and we'll have a multimedia show consisting of a lot of unseen images. And uh, come on out. We're, we're only in a small batch of markets, including the Ryman in Nashville, where the Monkeys did the Johnny Cash show in 1969. But but it's uh, if you're in the area and you're listening to this, come on down. It's going to be an amazing show. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming down here. Really appreciate it. We'll see you uh, next time on the pod, uh, Disco Graffiti. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.